Marte. Just like that. One nothing Diamondbacks. Don't change a thing on that bat. It's the sticker. Welcome to the Exit Velocity Baseball Podcast. My name is Brent. This evening, I am with Zach. How are we doing? I am doing great, man. Looking forward to uh, getting back to our uh, team previews here. We've got a great guest on tonight, so looking forward to talking some Phillies baseball. Yes, we Woo! do. We have Ellen Adair on with us tonight, actress and host of Take Me Into the Ball Game, and she's also a diehard Phillies fan. How are we doing? Hey, you know, I can't complain. <laughs> Yeah, we at least we got some baseball this season yes. right off the bat. I know we were talking. What are your thoughts on the 60-game season? Do you think it actually happens? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I am, however, I am very glad that some kind of an agreement was reached because I just feel like if the season doesn't happen now because of COVID concerns, I'll be behind that because what I really care about is the health of the players and the health of the staff. So that's understandable. But if the season didn't happen just because the owners were being completely unreasonable, of course, that's my take on the whole thing, uh, then it just would have been so depressing. So I feel whether or not we get baseball, which also I'm hopeful that we get any amount of baseball, but I want it to be done safely. I'm just so glad, actually, I'm so glad in this moment that the like going back and forth about it is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of us are. Actually, I believe there's a little, couple spikes in the coronavirus. I know Charlie Blackman actually tested positive. I believe the Phillies... A bunch of players in the Phillies organization and coaches and stuff tested positive as well. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it was originally like five players and two staff members. And now I think that an additional player and staff member um, are it's in. So it's in the sort of the ballpark of around 10 people have tested Mm. positive for it. And sort of from my understanding, what was happening is that they had very rigorous temperature checks and people were working out at different times in the facilities. But it was kind of just an honor system as to whether or not they did social distancing for the rest of their lives. And so Florida being one of the states that's more open Mm-hmm. It was just kind of up to some players, I think, to then be like, eh, you know, this restaurant's open, so I'm going to go to the restaurant. I mean, this is entirely a theory, so I'm not meaning to slander anybody, but it's it more has to do with, I think, the state of Florida than it does, like, the state of their training facilities themselves. To think yeah. that they wanted Florida to be the main hub of baseball <laughs> this year, oh, that's just laughable at this point. Oh, my God. Yeah, but yeah I, I mean, I, I really hope that I'm, I'm so glad that they came to an agreement. Like you said, I completely agree with you. I'm glad that this is kind of how we're getting back into baseball. And I, it would have been a shame if the owners would not have been able to put this past them. I'm glad we came to an agreement. But I, I'm concerned, like you said, about the health of the players. We keep seeing positive test results coming in. 
Charlie Blackman being the latest, all your Phillies players, not all your Phillies players, but some of your Phillies players uh, testing positive. But what's going to happen during the season when this does happen? It's going to happen. How many players are going to be affected by this? I mean, there's going to be the taxi squad. It sounds like a 20 man taxi squad. But um, I mean, some of these players are just not built. Some of these teams are just not built for these these taxi squads. Some teams um, have better depth than other teams. Um, Phillies maybe not as deep depth wise. Uh, which we'll get into. I would into. agree with that. Yeah, yes. so it's definitely going to hurt some teams. But yeah, this is this is going to be a major concern. I, I, I am optimistic that they play baseball this year, but I still could see um, some some spikes coming in the next, next few weeks here. Um, and hopefully they get all the kinks worked out. But I, I'm, I'm still nervous that maybe uh, and, until somebody steps on a mound and we see some some balls being hit, I don't know. I'm just I'm not 100 percent sure it's going to happen still, but I hope I'm wrong on that. To a certain extent, we just need to protect our little injured hearts as well. At this point, I think that's why everybody's cautiously optimistic. Exactly. Yeah. And with players too, like Mike Trout and then I believe Zach just said Zach Wheeler, they're having going to be having kids. They're not going to want to bring any of that home or when they go see their kids getting born. Like that's just as important too as their family. Sometimes these people forget that these players have two, three kids. They have entire families to take care of, and mm-hmm. they, they they're going to want to see them as well. They're not going to want to sit a couple months and not see their kids that were just born or their wives or anything. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. So Ellen, I know you were part where I came across and got to know you a little bit was that women's panel in on PitchCon, which I think was one of the better panels that Nick Pollock put together over there with Pitcher List. How did you become a Phillies fan, and how did you get in get on to that PitchCon? Oh, well, I I have loved the Phillies for as long as I can remember. I mean, my parents took me to the games from the time that I was literally a baby. So I've technically loved the Phillies longer than I've loved pretty much anything else besides my parents, I guess, which is sort of crazy. <laughs> um, so in terms of the pitch con, uh, Nick just asked me to be on the panel and I was just so honored to be on it, really. Uh you know, a couple of the of the women who are on the panel are just some of my heroes. Mm-hmm. Kate, I just think is the best writer. And from the moment that I encountered Shelley on Twitter, I was like, how can a human be this smart? And <laughs> so I couldn't believe that I was on a panel with both of them. It was really great. Yeah, we had Shelly on a while back and her knowledge of baseball and just sports and everything in general is it's amazing. She had an article I remember on Lucas Giolito pretty much saying this was going to happen. She's like the first person that I've seen that said Lucas Giolito is going to be this. She's amazing. She's just the best. I was going to say, I think everybody in the fantasy baseball industry read that article. <laughs> and yeah. that's where just everybody just, Shelly, I mean, she was on the map before that. But that article just really just boosted uh, her presence in this community. And it was a fantastic article. And she nailed it. Um, Lucas Gilito, she's a, I think she was a, a Nationals fan. So she knew about him coming up in the system. And um, yeah, she just nailed it. She knew that breakout was coming. And Thankfully, I've read that article and listened to her, and I was able to scoop up Giolito in a few fantasy leagues. But yeah, she's she's fantastic, and I really enjoyed that presentation as well. Yeah, it was excellent. So going more to your t- team, Ellen, with the Philadelphia Phillies, what do you expect from them this season in a 60-game set? Well, predictions give me a lot of anxiety because I know that baseball will almost 
constitutionally prove me wrong. This is what it does to us, uh, all of us, except for Shelley, of course. Um, <laughs> but because even before the season in the world that we were living in before, I kept on calling them Schrodinger's Phillies, like both winners and losers inside the box. And that's because though it's a good team that they have assembled, if I run down the roster, just the overwhelming majority of the players have some kind of question mark around them, even if it's mm -hmm. a good question mark, like will Bryce Harper continue to be very good or will he stay in beast mode for most of the season? And I, I kind of think that JT Realmuto is maybe the closest that the team comes to someone that's projectable. And even so, I think we were expecting a bigger upgrade on his power last year, given what we'd been led to believe from his home road splits when he was on the Marlins. And then with a 60 game season, obviously, like as everybody has been saying, anything could happen, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if the season had been capped at 60 games last year, the Phillies would have been the division winner. Mm hmm. And, and when the Phillies were winning in 2018, because they spent a couple of months in first place then too, it was because everything was clicking. And then what happened last year was you basically never got the whole team clicking at the same time. And of course, literally no one on the entire team overperformed what might have been expected of them. So I, I really, ah, I, I don't know. Like I could see a world in which the Phillies end up winning the division and I could see mm -hmm. a world in which they're in last place <laughs> in 60 games. I, yeah, I don't know. And I think it's just cause there's, there's question marks about everybody. Yeah, there really is. I mean, last year in 60 games, I believe the Seattle Mariners win the AL West, the twins win the NL central. They already, they, I mean, they won it anyway, but the Mariners were one of the hottest teams in the first couple months. Zach, what are your thoughts with the Phillies in a 60 game set? Yeah, I mean, like you just said about the Mariners, it's really all about who gets hot at the right time. And, I mean, this team has the capability to uh, go on a nice little run. They did last year for the first half, and, yeah, they were one of the better teams out there, like you just said. So it's possible. I completely agree with you, Alan. I mean, they could be in first, they could be in last. Um, there's a lot of room for error here, um, a lot of older names, uh, not a ton of depth, like we were talking about, the rotation. It's a slightly concerning for me mm -hmm. i like i like the one-two punch of nola and wheeler um i know a lot of people are kind of skeptical of the wheeler signing but i mean he's got he's got amazing stuff wheeler i know it's not the best environment to be pitching in in citizens bank park but um i i also love the addition of joe girardi and i really think mm -hmm. that he he could get the best out of wheeler and some of these other players i mean girardi really did a ton with some pretty mediocre Yankee lineups over the years. Um, it wasn't until more recent years where some of their young guys really came up, made an impact, but um, he just always got the best out of those teams. And I, I, I'm, I'm pretty jealous. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted the Mets to, to grab Girardi in the off season. So you guys made a nice move with the Girardi hire. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some really good pieces here. I think Bryce Harper uh, could get back to MVP form and McCutcheon will be back healthy. Hopefully, Reese Hoskins can have a nice bounce-back campaign. <clears throat> Excuse me. And another interesting thing uh, to find out what happens this season, the Universal DH, it's going to be implemented, it sounds like. And Jay <laughs> Bruce might be getting um, some quality at-bats in that DH spot. Really like him right in the middle of that lineup. Scott Kingery, another young guy uh, who's kind of taken a few years to... To kind of uh, 
figure out how to play in the big leagues. He was he had a really good minor league career, but mm-hmm. just kind of struggled the past two years. So I'm really eager to see what he can do in more of a full-time role. But like we're saying, I mean, this team, they got some good pieces, but uh, they've underperformed in recent years. Jake Arrieta, that signing really just has not panned out. Uh, mm-hmm. Vince Vince Velasquez really hasn't panned out. Zach Eflin. Uh, there's just we could go on with a ton of these names, but overall, I think they have some good pieces to the puzzle here. But um, in the end, they're going to have to get hot at the right time to make the playoffs and make a run this year. But yeah, it should be interesting to see uh, what Girardi can get out of this team this year. Yeah, and I, by the way, I'm here for anybody calling any Yankees lineup mediocre. Thank you for that. I hear oh, you're you. welcome. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm very excited about Girardi, and I think also excited about a sort of regime change for the for the coaches as well. Not all of the coaches, but they have a new pitching coach in Brian Price and a new hitting coach in Joe Dillon, and it just seems pretty clear that that particular coaching staff was not getting the most out of these guys. And so sort of in the spirit of scientific inquiry, it's perhaps the easiest thing to do is just replace the coaches and see what else might come out of it. I mean, another, I think one question mark that you perhaps didn't mention in your very excellent overview of the Phillies question marks was also Didi Gregorius. Mm -hmm. Who knows what we see from him, especially in 60 games. He was not looking great in spring training, um, but obviously I'm really rooting for him. And maybe more time off, you know, helps his elbow heal a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, there because there are then a certain number of players where it's kind of like, yes, I have no faith in Jake Arrieta at this point. But like, could he haul it together for 12 starts? Maybe, Yeah, you know, like. Zach Eflin has had good 12 start stretches of his career and maybe Roman Quinn's body was actually made for a 60 game season. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we see Roman Quinn. The best fit too is that Jay Bruce now being able to hit in the DH. I feel like he needed to do that four or five years ago when he left Cincinnati. And I mean, he could be an excellent DH for you. Just kept yeah. going to national league teams. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for for the DH, I think it's quite possible. I think a real question for me with the Phillies at this point is what do they do about Alec Baum and Spencer Howard? Because I don't really know yet what the rules are going to be, if there's going to be like a five-game service time manipulation, which is just... So annoying. I wish that if the Phillies said that they're in win no win now mode, they should just bring those two players up and stop being so parsimonious, which is the word that Alex Fast keeps using. And I love that word so much. And I love Alex Fast. So I just wanted to use it. But <laughs> it's a real possibility that we see Bohm at DH as well. Um, because I think that the the real question mark with him coming straight up this year was his defense. And so if he is not at least not needing to play an everyday infield position, whether that's first or third base, it could just be more at bats for him. It could be more at bats for JT Real Muto. We could see JT Real Muto in like all of the 60 games, for example, um, or to just kind of like spell McCutcheon. So I think my feeling right now with the Phillies is that they probably go with a little bit more of a rotating DH, um, particularly because I think it would be sort of easy to 
at the very least platoon Bruce and bomb um, because they sort of, you know, are opposite handed batters. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it might be a little bit of a, of a DH carousel. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about um, previously on a few episodes, just what's going to happen with the service time manipulation and uh, with these prospects. But I agree with you. I think teams that are in win now mode, um, the Phillies, could be that type of team. Um, maybe, maybe if this was a 162 game season, maybe this wouldn't be the case for that. But in such a short season, really any team could win. You could see the Marlins make a run. You could see the Mariners make a run. You could see the Pirates make a run. I mean, teams that just weren't built for a full season, they have a chance in a 60 game season. And if that's the case, I agree. I think they should take a chance and call up some of these top guys. And the Philly system isn't super deep. Um, Howard and Baum are clearly the one-two punch up there that would get the call. And Spencer Howard could could be what? Your number three, your number four starter right now? I mean, he really could be a huge boost to this team. And Alec Baum could be a huge boost to that lineup. So it's they're going to they're gonna get screwed over in terms of service time. Um, it sounds like like I said before, there's going to be a taxi squad, and I guess if they do get called up to the big league team, um, I guess service time goes out the window there. Um, but these two guys could definitely make an impact to this team, and in a 60-game season, they could definitely make some noise. So I, I would be very surprised if they do not make an appearance this season. Um, especially, we we saw reports today of a lot of team, a lot of coaches saying that their starting pitchers may only go a couple of innings the first time first few times through the rotation mm -hmm. so i mean this team like we said before there's just not a ton of depth like spencer howard would be a great person whether he's coming out of the bullpen in like a piggyback type role or if he's actually getting the start um i mean that's just an arm that this team really needs at this point and i would be very surprised if he doesn't get the opportunity yeah, I would also be surprised if we didn't see them at all. What I just don't know is if there's any kind of reason to delay bringing them up, like if the team gets any advantage by not having them up for the full 60 games, which just like makes me want to, I don't know, barf in my shoes or something. It's ridiculous. They should just be playing nope. for the whole 60 games. Because the question with Howard was really just innings concerns, since he only pitched like 90-something innings last year, including the Fall League. But he was oh. so good last year. So I have some numbers here. If you want to hear them um, hear in his 71 minor league innings last year, he had 94 strikeouts with a 2.03 ERA with a fifth that was not much higher and a 0.831 whip. So just woo. Oof. Yes. And he's he's got three above average pitches, but his best is his fastball, which was graded at 60 and it can touch 100. And his changeup and his curveball are both graded 55 with future 60 values. And even his slider, which is his least good pitch, is still a 50. And that changeup can be just beautiful. So, yeah, I just really hope that they slot him into the rotation immediately and obviously I have no idea where he would actually fit I feel like it's totally possible that he's their third best starter um I mean the you know the sort of scouting report on him is that he is could be a number two guy that mm -hmm. he could be better than that but in terms of this year if he ended up being their third best starter I would not be surprised yeah really I wouldn't either I mean he's I the guy I would comp him to he just has a couple less pitches as Zach Wheeler 
has that fastball from 95 to 97, had the, has the potential that Wheeler had back in the day. But one guy I wanted to get your thoughts on, because you probably saw him a lot in person last year, and he just kind of fell off the map, even though he led the league in walks, is Reese Hoskins. He had over 700 at-bats last season. Like I said, led the league, league in walks. But it just seemed like he was off, and I know he changed his batting stance this offseason. From mm-hmm. going to games and everything, what, did you, what could you pick out from Hoskins? Oh, Reese Hoskins. <laughs> like every night I kneel by my bed and I clasp my fingers together over my pillow and I'm like, please, God. What can you do for Reese Hoskins? Um, so to be clear, like I, I love him no matter what. And I was taking my like trust the precess signs to games last year, but his slumps are just so epic. And mm-hmm. I remember reading this article and it frustrates me to no end that I haven't been able to find it again through Google search. So if any of your gentle listeners are out there and remember this article, please send it to me. I want to post like a craigslist misconnection ad for it or something like you (laughs) article about reese hoskins statistical likelihood of hitting homers me dweeb in an aaron nola shirt reading you on my couch anyway this article that i can't find talked about how looking at the data he was more likely to hit a homer in one game if he had a homer in the previous game and if he didn't have a homer it made him statistically less likely to hit a homer in the next one which sort of flies in the face of the notion that it's just random with this sort of appearance of hot streaks and slumps and why I would so very much like to find that article again but the real problem with Reese is just his launch angle it's just it's just too much launch angle mm-hmm. so you can tell this if you're watching him and he I, obviously he has an uppercut swing. He I don't know if he like has ever hit a ground ball in his life. That's an exaggeration. <laughs> he probably has. But like I can't I can't remember seeing it. So in 2017, his launch angle was 18.4. OK. And in 2018, it was 22.4. And then last year it was 24. And the thing that is even worse about this is that that is just the average because an additional problem is that he has a very high variance in his launch angle. So you're just getting an average of 24, which means sometimes that's 10, but sometimes it's like 50. So it's not even consistent, which might, at least if it were consistent, it might make it easier to tweak. Mm-hmm. And my like private theory here has is just that Reese is known to be a very studious hitter and so I've wondered if he's just continuously trying to apply the launch angle revolution to what is already an uppercut swing and the result is like I always say it's like putting a hat on a hat Um, so the good news is that he is a studious hitter and as you mentioned he's been rebuilding his swing and the good news is that he looked at least decent in the 12 spring training games that we got to see. Um, he hit 241, 371, 483, although he was also striking out a horrendous amount. And the additional thing that just makes me nervous for him is that it doesn't feel like he's someone who is being helped by the baseball hiatus in the midst mm-hmm. of trying to revamp his swing. But in terms of his strikeouts, because as you mentioned, he was the, you know, he led the National League in walks. There was a Gabe Kapler mandate to take an extremely aggressive two-strike approach and swing at basically anything, which 
explains to me, I hope, all of the times that I saw re-swing and miss on strike three when I was like, I know you have better pitch recognition than that. Like, what are you doing? And I don't know if the same could maybe be said for Bryce Harper matching his, I think, career high strikeout rate. So those are those are sort of the reasons that I have constructed for optimism. But I do feel like they could fall like a house of cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's great analysis on Reese Hoskins. I completely agree with you. I, I think the regime change for this coaching staff is going to help him immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think Gabe Kapler just really tried to do way too much with the analytical world and the launch angle revolution, like you were saying. I just think he he was just trying too hard with all that stuff. I think Joe Girardi, he does implement some of that stuff, but I think he's also going to go back to basics. And I think Hoskins is going to have a bounce back here. So uh, great stuff with the launch angle talk there. Yeah, I just really think he was just trying too hard to launch the ball, and he already has that uppercut swing. So I completely agree with you. Hopefully that swing change helps. Hopefully the coaching changes help get get him back to basics. But yeah, I mean, he's that's the type of hitter that he is. He's really like a 240, 250 type hitter. He's going to mm-hmm. strike out a lot. He's going to walk a lot, and he should hit a lot of home runs. That's the Chris type of player. Davis. That, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of hitters like that. I mean, Chris Davis, Pete Alonzo, they're in that range. 250-type hitters, lots of home runs, walks. I mean, that's the type of hitter that he is. Um, so hopefully some swing changes will help him, and he'll be returning to that 2017-2018 form uh, where we saw elite Reese Hoskins. Yeah, well, because 2017 was the only time that we saw him in this sort of um, pre-John Maley days. And so I'm not saying that I do think that that was just like a magical moment for everybody, for me, for Phillies fans, for Reese. Like, I'm not expecting him to return to 2017, but I do. It does give me hope that like that was the time when he wasn't dealing with the with this, with that particular um, sort of coaching staff that would be great if we could get the 2017 reese hoskins in a 60 game season that's exactly what you guys need i would die like of joy <laughs> it would be so great it could happen i mean when he was hot that at that second half when he got called up i mean that was incredible to watch people are saying he's going to be the next big thing I feel like it's actually, and I think because it was this moment of joy after passing through the valley of the shadow of death with the Phillies, you know, over the over the previous like five years. But I, I unfortunately, I was well. This is fortunate. I was doing a show in New York, so it wasn't. I only got to see him in person in 2017 a couple of times when he came to New York but like my husband went to Philly to uh see him play and he was actually at the game where I think he broke the record for like fastest to 10 home runs or something like that so I was basically just inundating my castmates at that time with news about what Reese Hoskins was doing. And it, it like it got to the point where I would just come into the dressing room looking really excited. And they would be like, did your boy, did he hit another home run? And I would be like, yes, <laughs> yes, he did. It was glorious. It was so wonderful. Are, are you following Reese Hoskins' dog account on Instagram? I am familiar with the life of Rookie. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. I mean, my dog, Mabel, has a huge crush on Rookie. And I apologize <laughs> if you heard Mabel earlier, but she's been on many podcasts, so she just always wants to make her voice Sorry. known. She can about... make an appearance if she wants. 
the I mean, she was really upset about the fireworks that are ongoing in New York ah. City. But yes, normally she has a lot to say about people who might be in the stairwell. She's very <laughs> opinionated. So, so going to one of my probably my favorite Philly, I kind of compare him to a little bit of Jack Flaherty, my favorite pitcher in the game. But Aaron Nola, what are do you think he could establish himself as a top five pitcher in the game? And if he can, what what does he got to do? <sighs> well, here is what Aaron Nola is definitely. He is in my top five people that I don't actually know. I love Aaron Nola. He's maybe my favorite active player. And that's not an easy call for me because I love JT Romuto so much that I had a JT shirt when he was on the Marlins. And mm-hmm. I do also love Reese Hoskins. So it's a struggle for me to be unbiased here. But I honestly, I think that the unbiased answer is no, not unless he were to evolve his pitching mix, which to be clear, I'm not suggesting that he needs to do. And I think that Nola is unquestionably in the top 20 starting pitchers and Mm -hmm. probably the top 15. And I could see him having another season in which he's in Cy Young contention because obviously we've seen it before, but it deeply, deeply pains me to say that his 2018 season was partly fueled by luck. So Obviously, he finished third in the Cy Young voting then, but I sort of wonder if his war had to do anything with it because I think it was his BRAF war that was crediting him because of the (laughs) historically, epically bad Phillies defense that year. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turned out that he actually wasn't hurt by his defense. So even though the 2018 Phillies had the worst defensive run saved record in the history of defensive runs saved. Um, Nola somehow had a 251 BABIP that year, which is a clear outlier because um, his other years are sort of around 300. It's 292 for his career. And he also had a career uh, a career high left on base rate that year at 82.5. So somehow that defense helped him. But it wasn't completely luck because in 2018, he was still in the top five to seven percent of the league in expected weighted on base and expected Woba on contact. And his expected ERA was 2.84, which is still like really dang good. And I think what's just more mysterious is as to why his batted ball data regressed so much in 2019. Um, where, to be clear, it was still above league average. It was just not elite. However, I have I have some theories, even if they're just like tin hat type of theories. So a lot of that regression was due to his problems at the beginning and the end of the season. And it seems like the pitch that was damaging him the most was his fastball. So uh, last year it had a negative 7.6 P-Val um, compared to a positive 17.8 the previous year. So it seemed like he just didn't have a feel for it. And I developed a sort of a pet theory last year, totally biased, but that he was suffering from the effects of the of the super bouncy fun ball, mm-hmm. not just in the fact that it was bouncy, but in that the seams were flatter and it felt more like a cue ball. Um, I always remember Noah Syndergaard making a comparison to a dog trying to pick up an ice cube. <laughs> so yep. that reference to Noah Syndergaard is for you, Zach. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but Nola famously prefers pitching in warmer weather because he's a Louisiana boy. And I wondered last year if it's because being warmer and basically sweatier helps him getting get a better feel for the ball and that the new ball in 2019 really presented a challenge. So 
I did my like Harriet the spy shtick and I did a sort of informal survey in August of last year and found out that if I divided his games as being above or below 75 degrees, he had a 6.01 ERA in games below 75 and a 3.23 ERA in games above. But I'll be the first to admit that, A, this sectioned out a lot of his early season games when his struggles could have been for any number of reasons. And B, it was a small sample size, and I felt like I couldn't just go to other years because then we were talking about a different baseball. So what I actually hoped was not that it had anything to do with temperature, but rather that he'd had a hard time adapting to the slippery ball at first, but then he had sort of figured out how to do it. Because for most of the season last year, he was great. You know, like from from April 25th through August 30th, he had a 2.89 ERA with a 3.52 FIP. But then he had a pretty disastrous September. But there he's really faded in September, the two seasons that he's pitched above 200 innings. So I could charitably also say that he just has a hard time sustaining himself for that Mm -hmm. long. But these are really just narratives that I have constructed on the veil of a mystery. And I I do feel like all of this said, I think it's safe to say that last year probably represents the floor, at least until he ages. And partly it's that his home run to fly ball rate at 17.4% was pretty unlucky. Um, But his expected stats, other than that, like expected slug, WOBA, WOBA contact, et cetera, were still better than league average. Um, and his K rate remained pretty solid. So, I mean, it was, despite the rest of this, it regressed only a, an adorable 0.1% from 27% to 26.9%. So that's still pretty good. So those are, those are some of my many thoughts about Aaron Nola. <laughs> but I would that love to hear awesome. why... <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear why he is also one of your favorite pitchers, even when he is not on your team. <laughs> I mean, I've I've had him on my fantasy rosters for a while, just with, with Jack Flaherty too. And I, he's the guy that when he's on the mound, I like to tune in, just watch him pitch. I don't know what it is about him, but him and Jack Flaherty, I like to tune in and watch those guys pitch. But did you that temperature thing? You did that yourself, like going to the game and everything. Took the temperature and wrote it down and made like a whole book about it. No, I I just looked at the at the results. Okay. And then I looked I just looked up what was the weather on that day. So I was not there <laughs> in person. I wish I went to all of Aaron Nola's. She went to every Aaron Nola's. <laughs> I I've been lucky to go to a lot. It was actually the year before that even sort of like, oh, I just randomly happened to buy tickets for this day way in advance and it was an Aaron Nola start. Um but yeah, no, I just, it was a lot of Googling. I was going to say, that's the best Aaron Nola breakdown I've ever, that was the best one I've ever heard. Oh my goodness. Oh, well, <laughs> that, was, that was good. That was good I'm stuff. So, I'm so touched and, you know, I, I just feel like he's, he's my biscuit pants and so he deserves the best. That is yeah. a reference to, uh, in our podcast, in our Pride of the Yankees episode, uh, we learned, well, Eric taught me, that's my husband, Eric, taught me that Lou Gehrig's lesser known nickname was Biscuit Pants because of the way that he filled out his trousers. And so I declared that I would call my favorite players Biscuit Pants. And so that's Aaron Nola. He's Biscuit there Pants. Aaron Biscuit Pants Nola. Aaron Biscuit Pants Nola. You heard it here, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was great. And I- analysis uh but for nola right there i'll just 
add a little quick tidbit, my, my thoughts on it. I mean, I don't think he's a top five pitcher. I don't see that happening. Uh, I, I could see, like Alan said, like maybe a, a top 10, top 15 type guy. And there were a lot of pitchers last year. Uh, you said Nola, Cindergaard was very outspoken against it. Blake Snell, uh, a lot of pitchers did have trouble with uh, gripping the baseball last year. So we'll see if we're going to get the juice ball again this year or if they're going to make some changes to that. But that definitely could have had an effect on Nola last year. And like you said, I mean, he really, he wasn't too bad last year. He just had a few, there were two months where he just really had a blow up month. I mean, in April, he had a ERA over six and September ERA over six. But other than that, I mean, he was pretty consistent. Um, so I just think other than those few blow up months, and like you said, April, I mean, he's playing on the East Coast. It's a lot of cold weather on the East Coast. So that mm-hmm. definitely could have had an effect on it as well. Uh, but yeah, he just, he, uh, I don't know. He just, he just didn't seem like he had his, his pure stuff in September last year. He just kind of fell off the map a little bit down the stretch, had a rough September. So we'll see maybe, uh, another pitcher, uh, that could benefit from a 60 game season. Um, so we'll see what Nola can put together this year, but yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's a mix of the, the 2018 and 2019 Nola. I don't think he's going to put up those elite 2018 numbers, but I think last year, um, we could have seen some better results from him. So I would expect maybe somewhere in the middle for, for those two years. That's the type of Nola we might get this year. Yeah, I think that's fair as well. Yeah, I know what's funny is I use MLB The Show a lot for what pe- their p- players' pitch mixes and all that are. And Aaron Nola in our league that we have has been traded around a lot. And like you said, that fastball is not that – it goes 93, 94 miles an hour and there's no movement on it. Yeah, yeah. well, and I mean he was just using it in – uh, in 2018 to tremendous success, I think, because he can, his command is great. And I think that his command just suffered a lot, uh, early in the season last year. So even though the velocity on it isn't good, he's good at locating it where it needs to be. Um, so if that starts becoming a problem for him, then yeah, the fastball is going to get crushed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the one other guy that I want to talk about before we talk about your podcast and everything is Hector Neris. He's kind of been one of those guys that one season he's great, the next season he struggles a little bit. But I know he also battled some injury in 2018, but had an elite season last year and in 2016 as well. Do you think he can establish himself as a top closer in baseball? I love the optimism of your questions. And I love (laughs) Neris, but not unless we start seeing consistency from him. I think, I think he'd need another season on par with 2019 at least to be in that conversation. And of course, like relievers are extremely volatile in general, but Neris is not consistent. And I don't just mean like when he needed to be sent down to the minors to get himself back on track in 2018. And to be fair, like he did get himself back on track. Like he came back and he won NL reliever of the month and he was great for the rest of the season. In terms of the fact that he served as the closer for all of last season, I think it's possible that if there had been other bullpen arms available, as opposed to the bullpen basically being an infirmary last season for the Phillies, it's possible that he might not have spent the entire season as the closer. So last year he had a 2.93 ERA and he got 28 saves. Um, but he also had a 3.83 FIP and he blew six saves. So nothing disastrous, obviously, but not tops in baseball. So he had an 82% save percentage last year, which isn't Mm -hmm. bad, 
but it sort of when I when I did a query of all of the relievers with 20 or more saves last year, that was 18th. So it's also not exceptional. And there were enough of those saves as a fan watching in which he still gave up a hit or issued a walk or sometimes both. So he got the save, but it was not a completely clean save. The interesting thing about Neris is that he changed his pitch usage a lot last year and he started using his splitter even more often. And to be clear, he was already using it 49% of the time in 2018, but in 2019, he upped it to 65% of the time and he ditched his slider, which was really not working for him in Mm -hmm. 2018. Um, But the splitter, it can be such a good pitch. So it got a 42.2% whiff percentage last year, and it had a 198 um, expected batting average against and a 247 expected um, weighted on base against. The issue is it's so good overall, but sometimes it becomes ineffective when it sort of flattens out and becomes more horizontal. Kapler Mm -hmm. had attributed that to him getting on the side of the ball rather than on top of it. And because he relies on that pitch so much, it's obviously a struggle for him without it. So if it's a day where his splitter is just not working, all of a sudden, like, Hector Neris isn't working. I mean, his his fastball sits at around 95, and so it's usable, but it's really used in combination with his splitter. So he's got to mm-hmm. have a splitter. Yeah, and I feel like with him, too, he's kind of a player that the one part of the game that we don't talk about much, a mental kind of player, I feel like he gets flustered. He gets two or three people on base, and he gets flustered and has a struggle working on the jam. Would you agree with that when you're at the games and you see that? Yes, yes, 100%. And I know that if I were a pitcher, I would be very flustered. So I'm never like, you got to just get your head in the game, guy. (laughs) I'm always like, oh, no, like I would be just the same way. But yes, you know, I I do think that, uh, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why actually going to the minors for a little bit in 2018 was so productive for him was because it really just enabled him to sort of mentally give himself a little bit of a break and clean himself mm-hmm. out. Zach, what are your thoughts on Hector? I like Neris. Um, I, I don't think he's one of the elite options. Um, I honestly wouldn't even be shocked if he loses his job at some point this season. Uh, David Robertson should be coming mm. back. He's a, he's a Joe Girardi guy. And I wouldn't be shocked if we see some struggles. I mean, Neris had some very rough stretches last year where it almost seemed like he was inevitably going to lose that job. He ended up hanging on to it for the most part. But um, I would not be surprised, especially in a 60-game season. Like, if somebody's struggling, you, you got to make a move very quickly in this type of season. Uh, you can't just kind of wait this out months and months here. So if Nares does struggle early on, um, hopefully David Robertson is going to be back. Um, obviously, this layoff helps Robertson immensely. Uh, recovering from, uh, I don't know if it was Tommy John surgery. Uh, he had some pretty serious elbow surgery. But he should be back, hopefully, by the start of uh, the season in July here. Um, but yeah, I mean, Neris, that that split finger is his best pitch. I mean, he's throwing it over 65% of the time. I would love to see maybe another off-speed pitch in the mix there. It would be nice if he had a slider. Uh, in 2018, he did have a slider, but he only threw it like 4% of the time. So I don't love the pitch mix from Hector Neris. It would be nice to see maybe some more breaking balls and some more movement from him. But yeah, like you were saying, if that split finger is off, 
for that day, then he could be in some serious trouble. So um, if he can put it all together, and if that split finger's working, uh, you, you got a solid reliever there. But yeah, he gets flustered very easily, mm-hmm. and I would not be surprised if we see some David Robertson action um, pretty soon, sooner than later. That so gets- slider in 2018 had a um, negative 9.48 P-Val, and that's not per 100. That's the cumulative amount. So even though he wasn't throwing the slider very much, like that is how poorly that pitch was working for him. So yes, obviously it'd be great if he could get a usable slider, but I'm not actually advocating that he throw that slider. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty clear uh, based on those numbers that the slider just was not working for him. So he just completely phased that out. But it would be be nice if he had some type of pitch like that to use as an out pitch as well. But yeah, it looks like that's completely phased out from his arsenal at this point. But we'll see. Maybe Girardi uh, changes some stuff up with his arsenal. And uh, yeah. We'll see, but Hector Neris is definitely an intriguing name uh, for this season. I am very interested and glad to hear uh, about the ETA on David Robertson, which I had not heard such an optimistic um, potential arrival for him. So that would be great if we got David Robertson back that yeah. soon. I think they were saying that he was going to be ready around like the midway point for this season. So around July. So it's, it's possible he may not be ready right away, but July, August sometime he should be ready. And like I said, he's, he's a Joe Girardi guy. So I would be very excited if I were a Phillies fan about the return of Dave Robertson. Yes, absolutely. Cause the bullpen needs mm. anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Getting Francisco Lariano too. I'm a Twins fan, so I got to see him come up through the minors. He was supposed to be. I mean, they compared him to his teammate at the time, Johan Santana. But a guy like that, if he can throw his two-seamer with his fastball and get the slider going, he could have a decent impact in your bullpen, I think. Yeah, well, and he was great in spring training. So I actually feel like there's a decent chance that he makes the team. Mm-hmm. That was that, if I If I were going to sort of like make a probably totally inaccurate – prognostication about who was going to be on the team he would be on my list he could be a good weapon as well like if we're talking about some of these starters maybe not going so deep into games especially early on in the season he could be a very good weapon out of the bullpen Liriano great Mm -hmm. signing innings eater can get some eat some of them innings so that was an excellent that was one of the best team breakdowns we've had for a specific team I'll say that right now Ellen (laughs) that was excellent I could talk about the Phillies all day long. (laughs) So is there anyone else that we didn't really talk about much that you would like baseball fans to know about? I mean, I, I could, I could talk about, I could talk about anybody. I do feel like I'm hopeful potentially for a Scott Kingery breakout. Mm. Um, He was saying that moving around from a lot of different positions Last year took up a lot of his mental energy, and so he is curious what will happen if he can just focus on one position. And right now it seems like they have him slotted uh, in at second, which his defense last year actually profiled the best at third. So I wasn't sure if they would just move Segura to second since, of course, that's where he played when he was on the Diamondbacks. But it looks like it's going to be potentially Segura at third and Kingery at second. And 
you know, he actually was was great in the first half of 2019. I mean, he hit 292 with 11 homers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was because he said he was basically simplifying his approach after having been trying to do whatever the hitting coaches wanted to, him to do in 2018 to little success. So, yeah, uh, I'm I'm hopeful that we could see more from Scott Kingray than we have seen in the past. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people, I feel like, too, in the fantasy world that are waiting for that breakout. So I know me and Zach wanted, he wanted to talk about your podcast a little bit, but I wanted to talk about your acting career because I'm currently on the last season of one of your shows that you were in, Homeland. Oh. Yes, so I was going to ask, with working with, like, I don't know her real name, but Carrie Matheson and Peter, all like how you guys, what kind of passion and effort does it take to act and play a role in a show like that you mean for for claire claire danes is the name of the actress who plays carrie yeah or yep. do you and mean for, for yourself me? as well yeah and for yourself as well play because i believe you were janet janet yes. in Homeland. Yes. Yep. i was terrible janet oh gosh i loved her so much um yeah claire is really wonderful actor to work with very focused um very like very friendly, but very focused on sort of the job at hand. And I think that for anybody who has seen Homeland, they can tell that her role requires that kind of focus. Uh, I do remember that first scene uh, that we were shooting the sort of first day, I guess, that I met her and we were just sort of like marking where things were for the camera and it was just a rehearsal. And I just sort of like went through the scene for a while. I'm always kind of like taking my cues off of the series regulars on whatever show that I am on as to whether or not they really go through all of the dialogue for rehearsal or whatever. And I, at one point I noticed that she was sort of just not wanting to go through all of the dialogue and so when she came up she said her line and I just said no way Jose to her and she laughed and I was like I made Claire Danes laugh (laughs) um but yeah she's a really lovely human being and for me on that show working with Dylan Baker Dylan Baker has been one of my favorite actors for a long time and so there was actually a sort of a funny moment where he said to me, you know, you look kind of familiar. And I said, well, I hate to admit this to you, but in like 2011, I, I fangirled you in the Times Square train station because I had just seen him in God of Carnage. And I just like gushed at him about how everything is always better when he's in it. And, uh, which is something that I still believe. And then later on, I made some reference to Billions and he was like, oh, that's actually what I recognize you from is from Billions. (laughs) And like, it had never occurred to me that Dylan Baker could recognize me because he had also seen me on television, which is funny. Um, But I do feel like in general, I'm always so grateful when I get to work with actors of that caliber because it just makes the acting so much easier. Mm -hmm. But I do have a feeling like oh, these are my peers. Like, I'm very excited to work with this person, mm-hmm. but I don't get necessarily, I don't know, I don't get starstruck even when I super admire them because I'm like, no, but I deserve to be here and I deserve mm-hmm. to be working with you guys. So I don't know if any of those things answer your question, but 
Um, I, I mean, I think Homeland is absolutely one of my favorite experiences in my life as an actor. It was uh, a really wonderful show to work on. Okay, yeah, that was uh, that's what I was just going to ask. Was you've been in a lot of shows, even you were on Veep as well. What is the best show, movie, or TV series that you were part of in its homeland? I think that was my maybe my favorite experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I've been lucky to be on so many really great television shows. I mean, Veep is one of my favorite television shows of all time. I love that show, but I was just on two episodes. I had a smaller part than I did on Homeland. And so like the experience for me was not as full as it was on Homeland, but it was what was really great on Homeland was that like a couple of the writers and producers told me like oh we liked what you did so much when you came in that first episode that we decided to like write you into more things so that's just like the dream there's no greater compliment than that uh and I think that I just felt that supported the entire time that I was on set with that show and and also it was really fun to be a bad guy I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Janet wasn't like the super bad guy, but it was just she's just so like dry and <laughs> mean. And it was just really fun. It was just really fun um, because I like the sinner season one of the sinner is I one of my favorite television performances of all time is Jessica Biel on season one of the sinner. I think she's exceptional and mm -hmm. I love that show. But like my character mostly carried around a lot of angst during that show. So like I personally had less fun, like coming to work and like trying not to cry about something else today, <laughs> which I just felt like my character was trying not to cry the whole time. Whereas Janet, you know, got to come in and make an acerbic remark and that's just more fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Very good stuff there. Uh, I want to learn a little bit more about your other venture that you got going on here, this podcast with your husband, Take Me Into the Ball Game. Uh, appears you guys, obviously, you're big movie buffs. Uh, you're kind of going through um, your favorite baseball movies and doing it on grading it on a 20 to 80 scout scale, which is awesome. Love the concept. <laughs> uh, how did you How did you guys get started with this idea? Was this a little quarantine project? Like, I'm just curious to get some information about how this all came about. Totally. So yes, it is a quarantine project. But I think more than anything else, it is a no baseball project. Because it started because there was no baseball. And I said, well, we should just really watch at least a couple of baseball movies a week. And I appreciate you calling us movie buffs, but I actually, I grew up without a television, which meant that I would still sometimes see movies in the theater, but I didn't see as many movies because I wasn't seeing them at home on, you know, VHS. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of even like pretty famous baseball movies that I had never seen. So, we started watching baseball movies and then it was completely my husband Eric's idea to have a podcast about it. He said, oh, well, when we watch these movies, we should then have a podcast where we talk about it. And I said, that sounds like fun, but I would want to have it have some kind of like baseball related structure. So mm -hmm. then I was the one who was like, what if we come up with some different like tools to grade 
the movies on on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. Mm. So that is that was that was the genesis of Take Me Into the Ball Game. And we don't just do our favorite movies. We actually quite purposely try to alternate like different kinds of movies, different eras. We alternate movies that we have seen with movies that we haven't seen. So for example, the last two weeks, the week before last, we did Ed, the movie about the chimpanzee playing baseball (laughs) with Matt LeBlanc. And the movie is terrible, but like, (laughs) I actually feel like it's the episode that if people are like, I don't know. Should I try this new podcast? What episode should I listen to? Like, listen to the Ed episode. I think it is representative <laughs> of the thing that we do. And you do not have to have watched the movie. As a matter of fact, I recommend that you not watch the movie because yeah, it's was a, terrible. It was a really bad movie. <laughs> it's, it's. I think it's perhaps the worst movie I've ever seen. And then this week we have... Uh, we're doing Sugar, or Sugar came out. We're a few uh, weeks ahead in terms of the episodes that we record and the ones that we release. And uh, and Sugar is far and away, I think, the best baseball movie that I have ever seen. I think it transcends the baseball movie genre entirely. It is so, so excellent. So we try to mix it up. And we try to do, you know, cult favorites with lesser known movies as well. Very cool. No, it's a great concept. I love it. Uh, I listened to the Major League and the League of Their Own episodes, and I enjoyed every second of it. So what is the process like? So you guys are watching the movie on the couch. Are you taking notes? Are you having popcorn? Are you allowed to talk to each other during the movie? What's the process like? <laughs> I Okay, so yes to all three of those things. Okay. Uh, yes, we absolutely take notes. Two, I definitely eat popcorn. You have hit the nail on the head, my friend, because popcorn is my favorite food in the world. And I eat it in quarantine every single day for dinner. And I'm so happy. I'm like a six-year-old child and I get to eat my popcorn. And then we don't have a strict, we do talk to each other, but we don't say a lot. So that's a sort of like a qualified yes Sometimes, like, I think we watched Ed in complete silence, but that's because I was writing so many notes because of the continued assault on my rational sense that that movie is. Um, But we will we will just mention little things, but we do not want to talk to each other about things before we do the podcast. So we can be genuinely surprised, ideally, by thoughts that we have about it but sometimes I will just go ahead and say something to Eric that is not something that I think is necessarily going to go in the podcast just because also it's like maybe weird to not talk for an hour and a half if you're (laughs) or two hours if you're enjoying yourself but yeah then we'll usually we'll we'll watch it generally twice Um, I don't always watch the whole thing twice but I will be like oh I had a question about this moment I want to go back and just watch that scene or sometimes we will watch the entire movie again. Very cool. Yeah, I was wondering what the process was like over at your household watching those movies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very cool. Um, All right. So we've kind of at the end. Brent, do you have anything else that you want to touch upon before we get into rapid fire, by the way? I was just going to say that the scale is genius coming up with the 2080 scale and the rate the movies, what they do with baseball prospects. I thought that was pretty. That's pretty cool. Oh, thanks. I mean, we have way more. 
tools than a prospect would have. But, you know, <laughs> we, we're, we're the gods of our own universe. We get to make those rules. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been doing a uh, like a rapid fire segment with our guests. So uh, I felt like it was a good time to just kind of jump into this because my first question bounces off your, your podcast. Uh, obviously, you guys have been watching a ton of baseball movies. I need to know what your top favorite baseball movies are. Um, I, I had a top five. Um, you can give me a top five in in order or just, uh, just movies that you like, uh, baseball movies. I'm curious to get your thoughts on some of those. Okay. Well, definitely A League of Their Own and Bull Durham. And right. Sugar is my new favorite. Uh, 42, I love. And then I feel like vying for the fifth spot in the rotation, it's either Bingo Long or Moneyball. Interesting. I have Bingo Ball? Bingo Long. Bingo it's, Long. I haven't heard of that It's the Bingo one. Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Kings, and it is so oh, delightful. Yes. Know, I've, I've seen a bunch of people tweeting about that recently. I think that's one that I definitely need to watch. Is that a, a newer or an older movie? It's an older movie. I think it's from the 70s. Um, and it's about a fictional Negro Leagues team. And it stars Billy D. Williams and James Earl Jones as sort of like Satchel Page and Josh Gibson-esque players. And it is delightful. It is not a perfect movie, but it is delightful. It is, it is a wonderful, wonderful movie to watch. Cool. I'm going to have to check that one out. Um, there's a few movies. I- I'm just curious to get your take and if, if this is going to be on future podcasts of yours or if you're a fan or not a fan. So I'm just going to go through some a no, few of these here. Um, Major-, Major League, you guys have done an episode of that. Uh, were you in favor of Major League or no? I, d- I love Major League. Yes. I don't I don't know if it would make the top 10, but it might. It's like fringy top 10. Okay. What about The Sandlot? That's my also, that's my number one, by the way, The Sandlot. I also love The Sandlot. I don't know that I love it as much as I love Major League. I have a terrible fact to share with you, which is which has perhaps tainted my opinion of The Sandlot slightly, oh which boy. is that the same guy who wrote The Sandlot wrote Ed. <laughs> I was waiting for you to throw out Ed there. <laughs> Damn it. And, and he does, in Ed, he does not appear to, like, have a good sense of humor or know anything about baseball. Um, and it's, it's was so distressing for me when I learned this because I do love the sandlot. Like you can't be a human being and not love the sandlot. Yes, I agree. What about field of dreams? There's a lot of people torn on this movie for the most part. I think a lot of people like field of dreams think it's one of their favorite baseball movies. Me personally, it's, it does not crack my top five. I'm actually not a huge Field of Dreams guy. I know you did an episode. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. But what was your take on Field of Dreams? Yeah, I uh, Field of Dreams absolutely is not in my top 10 favorite baseball movies. I had a really interesting experience going back and watching Field of Dreams because it was one of my favorite earliest favorite movies. So there are two movies that I remember when I was a kid that I was like, I love this. This is my favorite movie. And one of them was Field of Dreams. And the other one was Kenneth Branagh's Henry V because I am a certified weirdo. (laughs) However, I had not seen Field of Dreams since I was like 
six or something. Mm-hmm. I had not seen it since that time. And I remembered almost nothing of about it. And so it was really interesting watching it again. And obviously the ending is incredibly affecting and I have all kinds of storytelling problems with field of dreams. And then, you know, there's the scene where he's sees his ghost dad and I just cried. And there are actually a number of things that I think are very emotionally affecting about the movie. So I don't remember exactly what I scored the, the storytelling on field of dreams, but it was definitely like above average storytelling. I want to say like I gave it a 55 or a 60. Um, I think but that's respectable. Yeah, I uh, the interesting thing for me was that I was like no wonder I loved this movie when I was a kid. It's basically about a grown-up who acts like a kid. Like he still sort of has kid values. Like I should go ahead and live my dreams instead of being practical and you know when Kevin Costner is throwing balls uh to shoeless Joe Jackson. He just, he struck me a lot as like when you see little kids, um, on the field at a major league ball, a major league ball game, you know, Mm -hmm. when they're like, and at first base with Reese Hoskins, we have like (laughs) little Jimmy or whatever. And there's a kid in like a gigantic t-shirt. So yeah. Um, I, I was like, I understand why I loved this so much as a child and I understand why it's so magical. Yep. It's not for everybody, but uh, definitely it's it's a decent movie, but I think there's so many more better baseball movies out there. Just to there's rattle not off, that much baseball in it. There's really not. That's why I don't classify it as one of my top baseball movies. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a, a better story than a baseball story, mm-hmm. personally, I think. But some other movies that I, I'm a fan, I don't know if you guys are going to talk about any of these. Little Big League, love that one. Uh, for the Love of the Game, Kevin Costner, Fever Pitch. Hardball, I love that movie. <laughs> G-Baby, that's my boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Major League 3, I think, is a very underrated movie. I know Major League 2 was god-awful, but Major League 3, Back to the Minors, I could watch it. I can. Interesting. I don't, you, I don't know if you've ever seen it. but I have never seen any of those movies. Oh, man. Little so, Big I mean, League, but that's it's the one great to watch. Because I have those things. That, yes, my husband is a huge fan of Little Big League. And uh, so I'm I'm sure that that one will happen perhaps sooner than any of the other ones. But I'm excited to hear what you uh, that you like Major League Three, because I I did a film like I starred opposite Omar Epps in a film. And so I'm I really want to see Omar Epps um, be in Major League two and major league three and i think i will get a kick out of it sort of regardless but yeah. major league two was really uh, i wouldn't recommend watching two and three i mean some people hate it but i don't know it's just it's a completely different storyline and i don't know there's some really good characters in there i'd be curious for you to watch it one day and do a little review on it <laughs> yeah but well i mean we are planning on continuing to talk about baseball movies as long as we can so yeah, got, I'm sure, I'm some, sure we'll get to some it sometime. Time. Got some and, time in quarantine. And we ta- watched Ed, so it's not like yeah. we're against Anything's watching possible, movie. Then. 
Anything's possible is what I'm going to tell you. Yes. Very good. All right. So let's get into some other, uh, some more rapid fire questions. Emphasis on the rapid. with me. Emphasis on the rapid. <laughs> oh, um, your, your favorite, obviously you're, you're a Phillies fan. I'm curious your favorite player growing up, whether it's Phillies or non-Phillies, uh, who was your favorite player growing up? Well, the first man that I ever loved was Von Hayes, but I also loved Darren Dalton. Darren Dalton. I've not yeah. heard that name in a very long time. Oh, Dutch. Yeah, I loved him. Interesting. I was not expecting that, but that's a good name. Were you, were you a John Cruck fan back in the day, too? Or no? I, yes, of course I loved John Cruck. But, like, Darren Dalton was my main squeeze. Okay, good to know. Good to know for all our viewers out there. Um, I'm curious, obviously, you're you're big with the TV shows, movies, actress, and everything. Is there a favorite show of yours to watch, um, whether it be like a, a classic sitcom or something to watch or just uh, any type of show or anything that you enjoy watching? Oh, man, there's just so many shows that are so good. I love Ozark. I, I'm going to probably oh, yes. think about shows that I have seen like relatively recently. I love Ozark, and I really love The Good Place. Um, I haven't seen all of it, but I have been working my way through. Um, I love Atlanta. I think that that is mm -hmm. such a good show. Um, that's definitely one of my favorite shows right now. Um, Insecure is also really great. I'm just now watching Watchmen. And mm. I feel sorry for anybody who isn't watching Watchmen right now. Like, I feel sorry for people who watched Watchmen, like, back when it came out and not right now. It's the perfect movie or perfect show to be watching right now. I I just, I feel overwhelmed by, by the amount of shows that I love. Have you watched Peaky Blinders? I have not watched Peaky Blinders. I have always intended to. But I, you know, it's funny. I feel like in this day and age, I feel about television the way that I used to only feel about novels. Like, oh, my God, there's so much to watch. And how mm -hmm. will I ever watch all of it? And particularly for me, because I grew up without a television, I can't really, I don't know how to watch more than one hour of television in a day, unless mm -hmm. it's a baseball game obviously. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to like binge something. I just watch an hour and then I'm like, that's great. Now I will move on to the next thing. So yeah, it takes me a while to watch things. Good. That was a good list of shows. I'm definitely going to try and watch some of those. I've been slacking on my TV lately. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is there an actor that you would love to work with one day? Mark Rylance. I, I mean, he's my favorite I love Mark Rylance, and I also love Janet McTeer. I would love to work with either of them. Those are the first two people that that spring to mind. But obviously, it's they're they're like a host of actors that I admire and would love to work with. I'm not gonna lie; I don't know either of those names. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh goodness! What Mark Rylance. I was going to say, what has Mark Rylance been in that we would know? Well, so I fell in love with Mark Rylance for his stage performances, which are totally understandable that you would not know about them. Um, I saw him when I was at Oxford in Twelfth uh, Night at the Globe. He played Olivia. And I was like, that's the best Olivia that I've ever seen. Um, mm. So I have seen him in... 
I I don't know, six or seven plays. Like whenever I get an opportunity to see Mark Rylance in a play, I always see him in a play. But he's probably most famous for being in Bridge of Spies. Um, he was in oh. Dunkirk. Mm. Uh, and he was in the, and this is a super like Ellen Adair nerdy thing to be into, but he was in the um, Wolf Hall series. Oh man, just so perfect. That's also, that's what, those are some of my favorite books of the last 10 years, say. So having my like number one favorite actor play the lead in a series of adaptation of my favorite books was pretty amazing. Good stuff right there. I, as, as I did a Mark Rylance Google, sh- Google search as we're talking about him. <laughs> um, I'm curious, are you a big fantasy baseball player? I do play some fantasy baseball leagues. Yes. Roughly how many leagues would you say you're in? I Well, I am in five, uh, okay. probably, although two of those had not drafted, so I'm not sure what's going to be happening with them. Mm. Yeah, a lot up in the air with fantasy leagues right now. That's true. Um, okay. Favorite ballpark? Obviously, you're a big, uh, obviously, you've been to Queen City... I'm assuming you've been to Citizens Bank Park. I'm curious whether it's those two or if there's some other ones that you've been to as well. What are some of your favorite ballparks that you've been to? Oh, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I neither of those like probably even makes the top five. Um, I Agreed. love Wrigley Field. How can mm. you not love Wrigley Field? Um, PNC is so mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, I quite like Camden Yards. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Fenway. I lived in Boston for seven years, so I have great affection for Fenway. But I just I love the older parks in general. I also really like Dodger Stadium. I think it's sort of beautiful the way that it's built into the the sweep of the of the hillside there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I like whatever it's called T-Mobile. I like the I like the Mariners Park a lot too. I, I kind of, you know, it's, I love Kaufman. I don't know if it's because the outfield is just so big or the fact that it is just like in the middle of a parking lot and then you yeah. get to go in there and there's like this jewel of a baseball stadium. Uh, yeah. So, and I, I think I say that partly because people are down on Kaufman a lot. And so I find myself defending it. <laughs> You've been there before, Brent, right? Yeah. It's, it kind of has like a, more of like a, football stadium feel the way it's built it's kind of like the bowl like that but it's a massive stadium like you said in the middle of the parking lot right next to arrowhead and i mean the closest hotels are at the end of the parking lot across the road and you got a couple hotels also there ain't nothing else around <laughs> yeah it's it's, yeah, we, it's like a baseball oasis in the middle of the desert yeah we did a uh, a ballparks episode um uh, about a month or so ago and me and Brent and Jordan, our other co-hosts, we all agreed that PNC Park was our favorite ballpark. But yeah, Camden Yards made that list for a few of us. I don't know if we, any of us had Mariners Park on there, but Fenway Park was on there as well. So you've been to a lot of stadiums then. Yeah, I've been to a decent amount. I mean, pretty much whenever I go anywhere, the first thing I check is like, is there baseball? You know, so I remember when my husband and I went to like very dear friends wedding in Atlanta a couple of years ago and we're like, the Braves aren't in town. This is a total waste. I mean, obviously we were like very happy to be there for our friend's wedding. But yeah, that's the attitude that we that we both have. So like, for example, I got to go to Kaufman because I was shooting a movie in uh, Kansas City 
and basically like not quite in negotiations, but I was like, yeah, yeah, these contracts are fine. My real question is, can we go to a Royals game? (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Plan your trips around that. Plan your, got to plan plan, my trips, plan your shoots and your, uh, and your trips around baseball games. (laughs) And we really, we try to go to a new ballpark every year has generally been our goal. And sometimes it's been more than that. Um, and some, it's not always together, unfortunately. So, like, uh, my husband got to go to Coors last year because he was in the area for a movie. And I got to go to, well, I don't know, maybe that's doesn't feel like exactly the right verb. But I, I went to the Angel Stadium for the first time last year. And so, unfortunately, it's not always together because sometimes it's just because we're traveling for work. But we do try to go to a new one together every year and it's you know it's like 1472 on the list of like even personal tragedies about 2020 that we're not going to be able to go to a new ballpark this year but Mm -hmm. yeah it's sad have you been up to target field in minnesota i have not no but i would love to yeah that's a good one too i'm I'm from minnesota and that's kind of my ballpark when i go up there but yeah the skylines in the back it's kind of like pnc without the river Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, PNC is also a beautiful park. It's true that it is the view that makes it so exceptional, but the park itself is also very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the same thing is true of Target Field. I wasn't creating a like comparison. Do you go to a lot of games per year? I know you're primarily in Queens. Like, do you guys go to a lot of Mets games? Do you have like season tickets or anything, or not really? We don't have season tickets because our lives and schedules are very unpredictable. Since both of us are actors. Um, and also, we don't love the Will Ponds. <laughs> um, uh, but... I, can, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we do go to a decent number of games. I was actually recently trying to remember when was the first year. I want to say that it was maybe 2015 would have been the first year when I realized that going to as many games in the year as there were years from the year 2000 would be achievable, i.e. like 15 games in 2015. And so since then, we've always tried to go to at least that number of games. But I would say most years we have exceeded that. So I, the last couple of years, I think I've gone to around 25 games uh, per oh, year. Man. That was... Not always the case, mostly because I did not always have that kind of disposable income. (laughs) So unfortunately, like when I was living in Boston and was a non-union actor and was always working like five jobs, I only, you know, I would get out to like one game at Fenway per year um, just because also Fenway ticket prices. But yeah, it's really wonderful. But it's, you know, it's just something that my husband and I like prioritize and enjoy. Yeah, well, that's very cool. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a weird year with us not being able to go to baseball games. I know all of us are not too happy about that, but hopefully next year we'll be back at it wherever that may be and catch some ball games and maybe we'll see you out at one of these ball games one of these days. Yeah, I hope so. I would really, I would love that, and I hope we can go to ball games next year. But that is why we have take me into the ball game as our. That is right. Well, Ellen. 
Thank you so much. I as answered so many questions. We learned so much about you tonight, and we had a great time talking about some Phillies baseball with you. Where can uh, everybody follow you on social media? Oh, uh, if you are such fools as to follow me on social media, I'm kidding. Um, my Twitter is at Ellen underscore Adair, and my Instagram is Ellen Adair G. That's just the letter G at the end there. Sounds good. We appreciate you joining us this evening and everyone go check out our podcast and give you a follow and we thanks again. I appreciate you guys. It was so much fun talking to you. Thank you.